Hello and welcome to Hello. this week at the movies. It is October 1st, which means spooky season has officially arrived. And boy, do we have a spooky kickoff show for you. We've got three new films yeah. that dropped this week that all uh, fill that void. And then Eric and I are each going to give a classic film uh, from that that has some meaning to us. But before we dive in, Eric, how are you doing? How are you enjoying the mood lighting back there? <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Um, I'm doing really good. I'm surprised. They're coming in hard with horror movies this year. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are hits that are coming out. Like I, I don't know. By the end of this October, I, I don't know if I'm going to be okay emotionally. So I don't know. How are you? Yeah, it's been the same. You know, we we're looking at one that's I'd classify as terrifying, and two that are probably a little bit more on the family friendly side of yeah. spooky season. But there were there have been a lot of things that have already dropped, uh, and we have a lot more stuff that's just continuing to roll. You have a lot of these streaming services now that have really launched into. Uh, dropping spooky stuff. And that's before you even consider the fact that for reasons surpassing understanding, Netflix decided 2022 was a great time to revive a Jeffrey Dahmer miniseries. But uh, I digress. Let's dive in to our first film, which is a true horror film, Smile. Eric, I'll let you kick it off. So I had an unusual time watching Smile. Uh, we went into the theater and something was wrong with the projector. Uh, so everything <laughs> already, you're like, oh, geez. So everything was this distorted, like it, it was clearly the lens because every trailer had the issue and things like that. And it was, everything was blue. Okay. And the movie starts on a dead woman and it fades over to see the child seeing her and we cut to black. And I'm like, and then they say, hey guys, the manager's working on the issue. And I was like, oh, you can't. You know, you thought you just thought they were going through their blue period. You know what? I'll tell you my funniest just... story real quick about film. I went to see the movie Electra in theaters, and oh, I'm sorry. you probably remember it wasn't very great. There huge was a Daredevil fan. There was a huge jump. You know, there was like kind of a weird juxtaposition jump cut in the middle, and I thought, well, this is weird, and I had trouble tracking what was going on for a minute. But I thought, then it comes back, and it was. At that point in time that I realized they had put the reels in backwards in the middle and they had played and the film has so little depth to its storytelling that it ended up actually being okay that I watched the reels in reverse. It didn't detract from my appreciation. I did tell them afterward and they're like, do you want a ticket so you can see it again? And I was like, no. Oh boy. Okay, so so we watched Smile and that ended up not being what happens. It doesn't cut to black immediately. And what I got is something that seems to happen a lot with horror and why horror is one of my it's probably like my favorite movie genre. It's it's that this movie and on surface is one type of entertainment, but then there is so much to it that you can unpack that you know, you're reacting to horror and you learn a lot your about yourself from watching horror. And this like the the at the very surface, I was I was saying this in another review I was trying to put together. Um, if you've been through something traumatic or horrifying, or when you're just grieving the loss of a family member, when people come up to you and go, "Hey, smile, are you okay?" It, it's like the least comfortable thing 
that you can do. And, and you go up and you say like, I'm sorry for your loss or whatever. Someone smiling in those places is out of place. And this movie like just takes that premise, sprinkles a little bit of the ring and a little bit of, um, what was another movie that was a great comparison? Uh, it follows and just ramps it up with the sound design, which I don't know what substance sound, the sound design designer was really on. Good. But he was on it the entirety of production, post-production. Like, it never let go. I, I, I found myself comparing this to walking through a haunted house attraction. But, you know, in a haunted house attraction, you can walk faster. This won't let you go. You're, you're held by it. And there, so there was a little bit to think about. And then a couple next to us actually left right at the beginning of the third act. And I kind of realized, yeah... This is playing. <laughs> They'd seen it. <laughs> yeah, this is playing uh, on like an entertainment value out of probably some of the worst experiences in your life. So if you bring into it, like I, I've been through experiences that this movie is using, you might end up feeling like it's a little. I don't know. I don't want to say tasteless because I feel like this was so well put together, but. I understood why they walked out. And then by the end of the movie, I'm not going to say anything about the end of the movie, but I'll say like, there's, they have the opportunity to choose between a happy ending and a nihilistic ending. And they made their choice. And I, I'm glad the couple didn't come back. Uh, <laughs> the, um, but I, you know, like I, I really enjoyed my time watching it. It's still sitting in my head. It's exactly the kind of horror that when you're driving home makes you want to keep checking the back seat and like not be okay being alone. And uh, Kyle Gallner, ever since like Haunting in Connecticut, Kyle Gallner, the actor, he plays the police officer boyfriend. Oh my gosh. His, his run of luck in what he's been cast in confuses me. But he's been in Haunting in Connecticut, Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Uh, he was in Scream this year in January. He's in Smile. Uh, he was in an adaptation of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. And then in an indie movie that I interviewed the director of called Welcome to Happiness. And I have, for one, I don't think I've, I've seen him play a type of character. Oh, he's also in Jennifer's Body where he's kind of like vulnerable, but he always does something different. He's always doing something new. And I think he's underappreciated. I want to put a spotlight on him. So but you the, think of him from those, I think of him from Veronica Mars. Oh, see, there you go. And, and so that, I mean, the powerhouse of this movie is the lead actress, but I, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to give it one thumbs up because I, I hesitate when it comes to, I can't blame anyone for being mad at this movie. Like, so what about you? Yeah. And who would have thought uh, Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick's daughter would be uh, a good horror lead. You know, <laughs> uh, she does do a nice job. The, I will be honest. Like I started my written review. I don't know if you've ever seen Seth MacFarlane's uh, a million ways to die in the West, <laughs> but they have this long yep. run. I do not like that movie, but go ahead. Oh, I love that that movie. The first time I saw it was in the theater with my mother, which probably tells you a lot about our relationship. Uh, you'll learn more about that when we get a little later in this episode. But um, there you have this running thing because it takes so long for still 
photographs in the West. They're like, who would smile for that long? Only a true psychopath. And that's the only thing I could think of when I was looking at the, at the trailer, uh, you know, and this, this poor girl who, you know, is in all the marketing, I hope she does really well off of this film because I don't think I'm going to be able to see her in anything else. Cause all we've gotten for months is like that, kind of maniacal looking face. Uh, yeah. And then this movie had an incredible viral marketing campaign. I don't know if you saw it. The they said like terrifying looking people just dead on smiling, sitting behind home plate at baseball games. And I was like, what is happening? Fortunately, they came out and said that they specifically did it as a marketing plan. Cause I, the first time I saw that, I was like, look, I'm not a fan of the A's either, but I don't, I think this is a little too far. So I was excited about that in terms of the overall movie. Um, there are some, it does a good, decent job for what it's trying to be. I think the other unfortunate thing about that trailer being everywhere for so long is they give away a lot of sequences, even like when her sister is going to walk out to the car. You've seen that scene and you know exactly how it ends. And based on the fact that this, this film has a lot of, it overdoes, I think, at times the false endings and the false sequences to the point where there was one actual really important sequence in the middle that I sort of assumed was fake at the birthday party. I was like, oh, this is not really happening. And then at the end, I was like, oh, it really happened. And I also don't believe any of the reactions to this. How somebody wouldn't get committed after that is a whole other thing. Um, you know, the director at times I thought was in love with drone shots, especially upside down drone shots. I, I went with a coworker oh and gosh. I just started dropping. I would just start putting up finger counts for the drone shots after a couple. It also made me think people need to invest more in plastic drinking wear, mm. you know, because everyone in these movies has like glass and they're just dropping it. And then they're just wandering around. I'm thinking, you know what? You're going you're gonna to cut your feet up. So these are kind of the rabbit trails I went on. I do agree with you. The movie that we'll get to at the end, this movie probably owes a lot to the ring in terms of the way its story is constructed, even in terms of the way it does the last act and, and the way you think resolution is happening. But I'll, there was a point in time where our lead figures out something, you know, when she's sitting in her yep. car outside the hospital. And I thought she figured out something completely different than what she ends up figuring out because my thought was they get they tell her one way you can survive and my my thought was there's actually another way you could survive if you were so inclined and at that point in time when she's like oh i'm gonna go here i'm like oh she figured it out and then you yeah. get to the end and i'm like nope i misjudged that this she is not that kind of an ending but right. you know i'm with you i gave it a one mild thumbs up um i think it's fine for what it is it's not exceptional it's not the best horror film we've gotten released this month in theaters either. Um, it, it lacks some of the creativity. I know you enjoyed Barbarian. I enjoyed Barbarian, had some real great creativity. This one pretty much tells you what it is in the trailer and mm, doesn't yeah. veer from that. Yeah, I, I, I did. You reminded me of one really huge issue that might entice some people and put off others that I want to take about it. This, this movie doesn't establish clear enough rules for the smiling thing. Um, yes. For it, to, like, so anything can happen at any time. 
you know, and in some of these movies, like in the ring, you understand the rules of what's going to happen. And you even get little tidbits. Everyone at a certain day, something happens. And that can make you feel safe. Like, you know, when the jumps are going to come in this one, like in it follows that creature is a physical being. You just can't see it. So that one, you know, if you go a certain amount of way, it's going to have to walk. And however long it takes to walk, you understand the rules. And this one, those rules are broken. Like you said, what is real and what is not real. I, I Walking out of the movie, you actually could probably choose your own adventure. Like, it's, 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 there's a certain amount of like, the thing couldn't do that two minutes ago. And now it can. I guess I'm not safe. I'm going to get scared. So, you know. Well, from one horror to one that we weren't sure whether it was going to be horror or not, Netflix dropped The Munsters from director Rob Zombie on us on Tuesday. Uh, and I think you and I had talked about before, you know, when you hear Rob Zombie, um, that's a name that conjures a very specific and very grisly type of horror film, especially the films that he's done with his wife, Sherry Moon Zombie, mm -hmm. in front of the screen. And seeing them reteaming and thinking about what the Munsters traditionally has been, I was like, oh, what is going to happen? But you know what? This he played for straight comedy. Um, it's basically a romantic comedy. It's meant to be incredibly goofy. In that way, I thought it fit some of the tone of the original show. Um, I was telling you, there, I had thought we were going to get a Brian Fuller version of that show in 2012 when he created Mockingbird Lane that would have had Eddie Izzard and Jerry O'Connell. NBC scrapped it before it had a chance to air, but then aired the pilot probably just to rub salt in the wounds of anyone who was looking forward to it. And I had, you know, I had been looking forward to some of a fun, sarcastic. I thought this one had some fun, sarcastic vibes. I'll be honest. It's my favorite performance I think I've ever seen from Sherry Moon Zombie. I thought she was really good at what she was trying to do in that role. I liked uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips uh, as Herman and Dan Roebuck uh, as the Count, um, Lily's father. I it wasn't incredible. I don't know if you caught Cassandra Peterson, who is Elvira, played a small supporting role in this, not as Elvira. Um, I thought that was a little bit fun. I believe she was the real estate agent who sold them the house. I was wondering, I'm like, why is this lady getting top billing? And I started looking it up and I'm like, her face looks, from, oh, it is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. So I, it's probably my favorite Rob Zombie film. I'm going to give it thumbs up. I, I look it's not incredible i liked it for what it is and if he wanted to make two or three more of these i would watch the heck out of them okay um wow so so it was not my my favorite rob zombie film here's here's my thing i have a very weirdly specific opinion of this movie everything that was done in pre-production works everything about like so casting uh, I, I, I'm hit or miss on writing because this movie, it's sort of like you take episodes of a show that have like a through line point about their family's wealth and you just watch a couple episodes of the show, end of movie, right? And yet Herman Munster, the original Herman Munster with sort of a calming affect like this, you know, he's younger. So they have him do a weird whack. Like it's a, it's a different feeling character. And Sherry Moon Zombie, I think, did well as the character. And I think uh, Grandpa is like the most on point 
like that actor. And then that's when you get into like, this is definitely, these are all a hands down Rom Zombie's team of people. Like Richard Brake, also in Barbarian, is there. He's the guy who created Herman. And um, so the, the production design and everything like that, everything about making the movie that leads up to when you're about to start rolling cameras, I think works. Everything after that, I detest. Everything after that, I think, I I think I almost didn't even want to talk about this anymore because it didn't feel like Rob Zombie cared. So why should I? I like the, So there's already been at least one piece of information that came out, and I don't necessarily know how the rules work with what people are allowed to say and not say. But he talked about the colors, like the 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 bright color stylistic, which made me think of House of a Thousand Corpses, but a comedy. So I, I appreciate that too. He wanted to make this in black and white. And the only sequence they let him do in black and white was the repeat of the intro for the ending. And even then, apparently he got a note from the studio where they said, if just one sequence is in black and white, it might confuse the audience. And he had to respond with like, screw that. Like what? That's People aren't that stupid. Um, and it, it, seriously, what made me think is like he went in He's, he's, he's working with Universal Studios. He went in to make a movie. And as soon as he got into production, like with the first Halloween remake that he did, he went to go make a movie that was an original idea. And they told him, mm, just make a shot for shot remake. He resented that. And then they let him make Halloween too. But we know that that movie is I probably that. your least favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and even then, the theatrical cut of that movie was chopped to hell and is totally different from the you know, directors or producers cut of that movie. So I feel like this is a sign of someone who has for decades, multiple times worked for a studio. And as they, they tease him, like he's going to get to make the movie he wants to make. He starts rolling cameras and they pull the rug out from under him. And I, I think it show it's telling in like all the sound issues and the slapped on like iPhone or I, what, what iMovie titles and like everything with the editing and all that kind of stuff after the fact i mean there are whole sequences where characters are talking and they don't even bother to do like a two shot they just have them talk and move on to the next scene but then there's still some creative things like you can tell he cared at one point and there is definitely a point where this kind of got thrown off and so i'm even at one thumbs down to counter your thumbs up that's like that's, i mean i didn't love it i guess maybe for me part of it is I think you were more excited to see it than I was. I thought it was going to be horrendous. And I started watching and I'm like, oh, this doesn't, you know, I'm not going to lose my lunch sitting through this, which I definitely did in Halloween 2. I blocked out. <laughs> Halloween 2 is one of the only films as a film reviewer that I, it is the only film as a film reviewer that I walked out and didn't complete. Um, I, I think I, your quote should be on the poster. I didn't lose my lunch over it. That's a good. <laughs> well, and. I I liked uh, what Cherry Moon Zombie was doing. I thought she was pretty funny. Um, it was f it was fun to see Jorge Garcia, who you know from Lost, uh, in this. I, I thought that was that was funny. I I do wonder though if he had gotten to shoot it in black and white, 
it would I don't know. The, there was a lot to do with the color palette and the way they shot it that I thought worked really well. So it would have been curious what a black full black and white version would have been. But I thought some things were were funny, like when they're <clears throat> on vacation in, in Paris. I know you the probably mime. hate that. <laughs> I, the, <laughs> the, the mime screaming. I, I, again, I, I laughed out loud. I, I couldn't. You know it what? Fine. It it's not. I'm. I'll be honest. It's not incredible, but it was. It was so much better than I thought it could be. Yeah. And I'm on. If he makes another one, I would. I would totally watch. See, I think it'll be very telling if, if, if for one, if this movie makes enough money to make another one, that's one hurdle. But like. Because they're not, you know, they they tooled around with just a straight to DVD release. It was supposed to be a th theatrical release. It's been like chunked around a bunch. But the Netflix drop probably helps them quite a bit. Although I, I, hope I was so. curious, Netflix, Netflix. I told you really slow rolled it because I was on yeah. the Netflix press site even as September started, and they didn't have it listed. And it was later it popped up in the Netflix app to tell me it was coming soon. That's when I screenshot it, and I was like, it does exist. Yeah, because we were even going back and forth about whether we were going to have a chance to see it beforehand. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, if if Rob Zombie decides to make another one, I probably would watch it because it, it, that would tell me that he has faith he'd get to do something he wants to do and it would be harmless. So, yeah. Well, from one piece of, uh, I guess, 1960s nostalgia to a little bit of 1990s nostalgia, we had another follow up. In Hocus Pocus 2. That's right. The Sanderson sisters back on screen for the first time since 1993. Eric, has the 29-year hiatus made your affinity for them grow? Uh, I mean, no, but I loved it. Like, I don't know. I, like, I had a great time. See, the, the original Hocus Pocus, I think it's it's odd. We we have so much. We've been going over a decade off of nostalgia to try and like push a lot of properties forward. I mean, I think people are moving on from the 80s a little bit, but this when I saw this, it was like I was a, a kid at a friend's house and they lived in an old house and they had the Disney Channel on, and it was like Disney Channel gave some people some money to make a movie, and it was just so like weird and fun and 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 captures like the feeling of like halloween and spooky and everything about that commercially that works you know the black cat uh but not played for scares like you know we're trying to be nice to animals and whatnot and just so many like potions and brews and witches and spells and things like that like it just the zombie one, I'll say my favorite one of probably my favorite thing in both movies is Doug Jones as Bill the or Billy. I don't remember his last name. Billy. Yeah, um, was, you're right. It's Billy something. Yeah. And uh, I will say, I don't know this actor's name, but he was in I Think You Should Leave, the sketch comedy series. And he in this one, is he it Sam Richardson. I think so. He was also in that. Uh, that movie over the summer with Chris Pratt with Mario. Are you talking about Gilbert? The Gilbert, magician? yes. Yeah, Sam yes. Richardson. Sam Richardson is fantastic. He has to play a role, probably the only difficult to write role that kind of justifies this as an actual sequel and not just redoing and like coming back and doing the uh, like a new movie just for money. And it, he was really carefully written, like, 
and I, I just think they did a good job with that, with Winifred Sanderson, and with the lead uh, actress, teenage girl. I, I thought... Whitney Peak. Becca. Yes. Becca, Whitney Peak. She was... The, the, all three of those, I think, helped make the movie feel like a movie that was uh, something someone cared about and was like worthwhile. And so I just I, the the original Hocus Pocus wasn't something that I put on some tier as like an untouchable classic. And this again, they didn't try and promote this as like the second. Co- they didn't try and do what Halloween Ends is doing in their promotional, where they're like, "This is the event of the millennia." It's it's just it's Hocus Pocus too, and you loved the first one, and that's exactly what the movie delivers. And I thought it was awesome. Like they, there's the movie. Every time it seems like it's doing something touching, it is, like with Winifred and her sisters. And then every time this movie is like, we don't have to worry about overdoing something, like with Thackeray Banks in the first movie and the Black Cat in this movie, they don't they don't push it too far. They don't try and wring anything out, I think, just for nostalgia bait. Or it just it just works. I, I really had fun with this one, and I'm I'm giving that a thumbs up. Yeah, you know, I'm with you in terms of there are people that swear by this movie and it, you know, it hasn't been a successful October if they don't see it. Um, We had a friend who stayed with us who dearly loved it and we would watch it with her. And I I always enjoyed Hocus Pocus. Um, You know, I think it's fine. It was never a movie I thought, hey, we really need a sequel to this. And so I was curious, how are you even going to go back to the well and do a sequel? I like what they did doing a little bit more to build up who the Sanderson sisters are and their connection. You open with kind of a flashback to them as little kids, that little girl that's playing Winifred, giving her that, those teeth, that, that was hilarious. And having um, Tony Hale and Sam Richardson, you have a couple of good comedians in there, but I'm with you too. It was the new, um, you know, the new teens, uh, Whitney Peak, Bella Escobedo, and Lila Buckingham are the three kind of girls that create this this new coven. Whitney uh, Peak was Becca, who is the one who's turning sixteen, who turns out to be um, kind of the the new witch. And I I had fun yeah, with that's them. In the trailer, like they they reveal that in the trailer for the movie. Yeah. and I had fun with um, you know the one girl's boyfriend, who's kind of like clueless one of the most hilarious scenes is when they're talking to him saying well you know, why are you always making fun of us and he's like i'm not making fun of you i'm just making observations that you're weird and you do a bunch of weird stuff and i'm just telling you wait is that is that hurting people's feelings and like the look of this is the first time it's ever dawned on him that he's the bully was oh i have to apologize to so many people that was a top shelf moment um, and Sam Richardson had a lot of fun. Doug Jones, who who plays uh, Billy, they had some good back and forth. The ladies, you can tell they wanted to come back and they were having fun with it. The musical numbers uh, were pretty good. I don't remember quite having so many musical numbers last time. Um, that sequence where they're trying to convince them that all of the makeup in um, Walgreens is made from the souls of children. I laughed so hard, you know, all so the good. all the, there was there was a lot of fun little nods. I appreciated it for what it was. I thought it was a little a little long. It runs an hour and 45 minutes. I probably would have knocked, you know, 15 or 20 out. I think these kind of movies do better in the 90 minute range, but I, you know, I'm giving it a mild thumbs up too. 
I can see it becoming another seasonal classic, especially for people that really enjoy um, Hocus Pocus and, and wanting to roll things out. And I think we all have movies that speak to us during certain seasons. I can't wait till we get into November and December when we get to start sharing some of our Thanksgiving and Christmas favorites. Next week, we're, our next episode, we're probably going to dive into some of our October favorite when we look at the Halloween franchise. I think there are movies that just speak to people. And I, for fans who've waited the 29 years to see a follow-up, um, I think this worked. And I was with you, too, that the some of the emotional beats at the end with Bette Midler um, – hit and i think you end in a lot nicer place than maybe the first one ended so mm -hmm. it was fun. nicer than you might expect i think yep so i'm going to quickly recap the new movies we saw before eric and i each give you a rewind classic smile in theaters now we both gave it a thumbs up the monsters now streaming on netflix i was up he was not and then hocus pocus 2 which is now streaming on disney plus uh, well, the way we wanted to end today is each of us are going to look at a Rewind Classic because tis the season. I will step out first. Mine is The Lady in White, and you're probably going, you made that up. I did not. It's a small little film that was released in 1988, and I picked this one because it has a lot of uh, personal connections for me. One of the first films I ever watched was Jaws, and I was big into watching things and as my mom likes to remind me i told her nothing could scare me so she would kind of look for films that she thought might give me a nightmare um which you know i started by telling you that we watched a million ways to die in the west together in the theater so you probably have an idea of the back and forth that has persisted now for 40 something years between the two of us but this movie definitely um gave me nightmares uh and i, I was you know, it came out in 88. I was born in 81. So I was probably like seven or eight when I saw it. And it's a ghost story. Lucas Haas plays this kid that was right around my age. Um, you know, and he gets locked into a closet at school, which was always a nightmare for me, like getting left behind somewhere. And he sees this little ghost visage of a girl that leads him onto this kind of mystery. And basically ends up solving a serial murder, which is not what you're expecting from a film that sort of in some ways markets itself as a child story. You know, it starts out with this sweet narration of a guy talking about his iconic childhood in a small town. And you go back to, to the 60s, he's riding his bike down Main Street. And you're like, oh, this took a darker turn than I was expecting. I'll be honest, you know, it was not a huge budget and it was in the 80s. So the graphics are not what they could have been. If they remade this movie today, it would be tremendously more scary. But what has always stood out to me is there is a beautiful piece of charming music that is the key to discovering who the killer is. And I will tell a quick story of the impact of this film, which is many, many years later, I was in the theater watching The Green Mile. And in that movie, that's not always a lighthearted movie, but there's a beautiful little scene where Tom Hanks is trying to escape from his day and he puts on a record to have a sweet moment dancing with his wife. The song he puts on is the song from The Lady in White. And it was 1999. I was an 18-year-old sitting in the theater I gripped the armrests. Every hair on my arm stood up. My mom knew exactly what that was and started laughing her behind off. 
my dad is like, this isn't even a funny part or a funny movie. I don't know what you guys' problem is. Because he had no idea. But that was like the lasting impact. I remember, too, as an adult, the first time I watched Lady in White as an adult, wondering if I was going to, you know, get terrified. And now I can watch it and go through. But it was just that moment at the Green Mile when when I hear that, you know, do you ever hear a dream walking? And I'm just like, I probably left fingerprints on the armrests in that theater. And that's, you know, that's the kind of impact that a, a good film or a film that gets to you can have. And over the years, it's one that I've always come back to. You know, it's not the flashiest film, doesn't have the huge biggest cast, but it's one that I always enjoyed. Um, and it, it has these personal stories for me, which is part of why I picked it. But Eric, I know you got a chance to see it. What did you think of The Lady in White? I just think I'm very lucky to know someone who knows about this movie who shared it with me because I adored this movie. What you were describing was was so close to exactly my experience. I have like two little notes. One of them, I have almost the exact same my version of the experience you have with that song for me was the uh, the girl who's throwing up in the sixth sense. Oh, I could I can't. You know, you, when you're a kid, you think you could just go under the covers when you're freaked out. That movie stole that from me. <laughs> it's not okay. Anyways, um, the lady in white. It opens like it's freaking Halloween Town with a little like higher production value, and. Then the kid goes into a room and a little girl runs in and she starts. You shouldn't be, be here. <laughs> yeah. And well, she starts, she, she starts being assaulted by an invisible thing. And it, it was like the most uncomfortable thing in the world reflected off Lucas Haas being visibly traumatized. And it's like, oh my gosh, it was so not okay in the best way. So so much imagery in this even though it goes over halloween through like christmas like the the i i just i enjoyed it so much and i will say there is a key character played by actor len Carrier, the original sweeney todd see and now i think of him as uh as the grandpa on blue bloods <laughs> oh right okay yeah he's um, like the ultimate nice guy i'm like and always nice he, he, yeah, yeah. He he wasn't always nice twice. I don't know how many times they did that on Broadway, but this is the second time. Um, so, goodness gracious, um, I, 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 it was it's like a staple. Like it gives you everything you want out of watching a movie around this season. And Lucas Haas, uh, it was killing me. I that I knew this kid, and I kept imagining him as the wrong actor growing up. So I had to look it up, but. In Inception, he is the guy who's a part of their team who was supposed to create the room in the beginning. And, like, he found out it was polyester. I didn't know he was going to rub his cheek on it. Like, that's him. And he's also uh, a drug kingpin in Brick. So, I... Yeah, I mean, he's still doing stuff good today. Good actor, yeah. 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 I, I just, I thank you. Thank you for the recommendation. I feel like there's definitely already a subreddit out there of people who are cult fans of this. And it has a Scream Factory release with a director's cut. And I have no idea what that means, like what the, what the differences would be. But I'm so curious about it now. This is going to be one that I like actively hunt up. Like uh, such a, th just thank you. Anyways, yeah. And I just have to say thank you, mom. 
you know, because I know you will see this later. Are you proud? All these years later, I'm still well, scared. Now, your selection, I cannot believe it is 20 years old, but tell us about The Ring. The Ring creeped into my life. It came out, I wasn't allowed to watch it when it came out, so it came out on VHS and DVD, and guess which That's version my worst. friend had That's at a party. The worst format. Yes. <laughs> we, we watched it, and I was in a room full of people all trying to pretend they're they're too cool for it, you know, like throwing like a neon glow stick at the screen and going the ring because it's like in a circle and and everyone laughing and I'm like ha, ha, funny and I'm like really <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> because I and I honestly think Gore Verbinski might be like not intentional but you could take auteur theory and you could apply it to him this guy. I, I feel like I know in my brain when I'm watching a movie directed by Gore Verbinski, like Cure for Wellness, the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy in this. And it, it's so distinctive and careful. It has, a, it feels like it's a little bit inspired by like a David Fincher sort of style of things. But the, the most, the reason the thing is the most impactful is because it takes that idea of, Ooh, cool, creepy urban legend about watching a scary videotape. It drags you through it. You've got you know, your staple, like, creepy child son who it's not trying to play creepy, but I, you know, I think he's an, a fantastic performer. Naomi Watts is incredible. I think I like every performance in this, um, including Brian Cox is the father, yeah. right? Yes. The original Hannibal Lecter. Who? Yes, he was. Manhunter. He's a good Hannibal Lecter, too. Anyways. That's another, um, if you're looking for a movie, look up Manhunter people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like there are, there are so many moments in this that are just like unsettling. And for some reason I can watch this unfold as a mystery over and over again and not feel less interested in what you're learning. Um, it's just the, the twists and turns of what it is, them playing with your expectations that obviously a ghost is going to want to kill you. And then like, what it, they end up making you believe it is. And then just that very button twisted. I mean, it's 20 years old. So I'll just tell you the way you're made to believe the girl was a victim is so much. I think what people are like, yeah, that, that's gotta be what it was. Then to twist it like that, the kids, that, that, that line where she says, we helped her. And he goes, why did you do that? And I'm like, Ugh! and everything sinks. And, I don't know. The the ending is just absolutely haunting. That idea that they, he just asked, who will we show it to? Okay, it's out there. Okay. Don't, don't you feel like that ending sequence is almost directed at the audience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's so weird because I feel like you would feel so much safer apart from the jump scares and there being much more impactful sound in a theater than you would watching this at home on a dusty old TV with a VCR. But that's the crazy thing. It just it just works. And it's it's so carefully paced and stylized. And it, it, I've just appreciated it more and more as an adult. Like, oh, this is a creepy movie. Oh, this is a well-made creepy movie. Oh, this is a good movie. Like it just keeps living on, yeah. Well, and there's uh, there's so many 
people that you forget that have like the can be like Amber Tamlin being the, the kind of girl at the beginning who went on to do things. I forgot Adam Brody was in it just like pops up for one expositional scene. Uh, Pauly Perrette, who, you know, if you watch NCIS has been their on, you know, their forensic analyst on NCIS did it for like 20 years, um, plays the kind of uh, photography student girlfriend. Um, but Naomi Watts is, is good in this. Um, you know, this is, I remember at the time I, I saw this uh, of my own accord. I was old enough uh, because I was in college to just go uh, and watch this in college, which is why seeing that, realizing that it's now 20 years old hits me even harder. <clears throat> but I remember it being kind of uh, the forerunner to kick off a different style of horror too, where we were moving away from the slashers to more of this like supernatural objects. And you think of all the things that followed after it. Um, I believe this one was based on uh, a Japanese film. Uh, Ringu. Was, yep. Yeah, Ringu. And then you saw that occur again with the Sarah Michelle Geller won the grudge, um, you know, and then we got all those paranormal activities. And now this kind of supernatural uh style of horror feels a little bit played out but this the ring was kind of the first one in there it's amazing to me too you mentioned gore verbinski and his style that he went directly from this to giving us captain jack sparrow which was released like the next year after that it's like hey yeah i just did this thing where uh people die in some horrific ways so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go do a disney ride as a movie with johnny depp and Real quick note on that: it's it's because the studio had no faith in Pirates of the Caribbean, virtually. So it's like, yeah, let the horror director do it. Yeah, let Johnny Depp do what he's gonna do. Yeah, like they had Steven Spielberg. Yeah, but he's to gonna watch this. Well, that was right. a primer production. Right, like, oh. you know. And so we started the show talking about Smile and kind of the the story pattern and stuff. I. You forget too. I rewatched this uh, for the episode. How much that the smile story beats kind of owe to the way the ring plays out, even the sort of false ending um, that you get. Uh, the ring obviously goes in a little bit of a different direction. Um, at the end, you talked about the happy ending or the nihilistic ending. I guess they went to the happy ending and also the, you know, stick it to the audience kind of ending. Like, what's going to happen to all the people that watch it? Well, in a week or so, they're going to die. Oh, does she mean me? Oh, I think she does mean me. I was I was curious, too. I just went and looked up the kid in this. David Dorfman does such a nice job, and he did, like, next to nothing after it. His last uh, screen credit is uh, some TV series called Zombie Roadkill. His probably He was on Joan of Arcadia, which made me laugh because Amber Tamlin was Joan of Arcadia. So they got to have a, hey. a reunion. He was in an episode of The Ghost Whisperer uh, with Jennifer Love Hewitt. And then he did the movie Drillbit Taylor. And that's pretty much it after the kind of Ring franchise. Right. He got to make Ring 1 and 2. He was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. And then Drillbit Taylor. And that's... I feel like he deserved better because he's kind of haunting. Yeah. I like it, It's even to the way that he calls his mom Rachel. Yeah. Like... It was like vaguely unsettling. Oh. As an adaptation, because I've seen Ringu, like that, things like that are the reason why it feels like there's a specific person's stamp on the movie. Like, that's such a unique, interesting decision to build on a character. But anyways. Yep. So, another classic. Yep. 
Well, we've given you plenty to think about as you uh, march onward into the spooky season. And we will be back in three weeks with an entire episode dedicated to another film franchise, one that has promised to end on October 14th. <laughs> are we, what, what odds are we going to put that this is the last ever Halloween film? Oh, zero. I'm not, I don't know. I'm sorry. You said odds. I don't know how to like do yeah. number. Like, are you kidding me? Come on. Like, <laughs> how many like times it. has this franchise crashed, burned, and then been like, let's reboot it so that people are excited about it being new? Like, well, that's why you, you talked about uh, with Hocus Pocus. They weren't trying, they didn't need to tell you it was a huge event. Those are the kind of things you have to do in your marketing when you're on like your 15th film as, uh-huh. as Halloween is. No, no, Lori Strode came back. Oh, no, this is like her eighth Halloween movie. Yeah. That's that's becoming a little less special, friends. Yeah, she's been in more of them than she's not been in. Like I know. Yeah, it's, it's become a little less special. But we are going to look at uh, Halloween Ends. And then all things Halloween franchise, including Eric and I's personal favorite, Halloween 3, the season of The Witch. But until then, we hope to see you at the movies.